Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm delighted to be talking to you today, where we we unveil our record results for the period, um, fifth uh, consecutive period that we've been able to deliver record results, which I'm delighted about. We're a property franchisor with the largest UK property franchisor, and we operate out of nine brands. Three of those are national brands. That's Martin & Co., predominantly a lettings brand, Hunters, predominantly a sales brand, and New Move, which is a hybrid estate agency brand. We then have six very successful regional brands, CJ Hull, Parkers, Country Properties, Ellis & Co., White Gates, and Mullet. And that gives a significant scale within the UK property market. We operate 592 businesses, ultimately, they're franchise businesses, including the U-Move territories. The U-Move territories has grown in the period to 178, now contracted, and we'll touch on that a little bit later in terms of giving you some more detail about the growth. Uh, We now manage as a group 74,000 properties on behalf of landlords across the UK which I think puts us number two in terms of size. And in the first half of this year, we exchanged out on 10,000 properties, which again puts us about number two in the marketplace. What's our purpose? Our purpose is to support our franchisees. And we'll talk about that in more detail as we go through the presentation. But when I joined the business back in March 2020, it was very much about you know, how can we make our franchisees more profitable, more successful, build a relationship with them, with them where they would embrace new ideas, new strategies um, uh, to, to drive their turnover and their profitability. And what's our vision? To achieve an increasing UK market share of lettings, estate agency transactions and property-related financial services. So that gives you a little bit of knowledge about our group. In terms of summary of the period, you know, again, record performance, the size of the market in the UK last year was approaching 1.7 million transactions in the year. I think it's 1.65 by the end of the year. And that certainly cooled off in the first half of 2022. There were 628,000 transactions completed in the first half of the year. So that's showing that the market is normalising back to that long-term average of about 1.2 million transactions. I think it'll be slightly better this year, um, but but it will move back towards that 1.2 million transactions. So we've had growth across the key metrics, including revenue, managed service fees and profit, which is really great to report. We've had a really resilient performance in a predicted market so far apart from sales completion rates. And again, I'll touch on that a little bit later in the presentation. But, you know, look at our lettings business, our financial services growth, our territory growth have been good. Sales completions have been slower. We launched back in September 2020 our sort of five-year plan, our strategic growth initiatives, and we've updated every six months on, on how we're doing against um, those, and we'll do that again today. Uh, but, but, you know, the headline is continued execution against our strategic initiatives. And, you know, what we've also done since September 2020 is built a best-in-class senior leadership team that supports our franchisees on a day-to-day basis and acts as, if you like, their individual consultant to be able to talk through the opportunities that exist within their business and look at their business and try and improve it. So we've made really good progress throughout the last six months in terms of um, pushing forward on all those points, uh, which I'm delighted about. In terms of the financial overview, I'm now going to hand you over to David uh, Raggett, my CFO, who's going to sort you through these numbers. So David, over to you. 
Uh, well, as Gareth said, th these are record results for uh, for us for this half-year period, and um, I suspect by year-end there'll be uh, record results for this year compared to prior years. I I've been in post oh, great, since 2013, so I, I was part of the team that took us to market, and um, when you start to look at where we are now, wow, we've really moved things on. This half-year, how have we done? Group revenue up 18% to £13.1 management service fees, the royalties, the piece that we drive so hard, or we try to encourage our franchisees to grow their revenues. And importantly, then we get the royalty off the back of it. We try so hard with them to keep that moving forward, up just 5% to 7.5 million. There's some important reasons for that. You've got the sales market dipping back to the levels we thought it would. And on a like-for-like -like basis, that means that sales MSF has gone back 21% in the group. The other side to it is that the lettings business has been stronger and like-for-like -like growth there is up 7%. And what you're just seeing at the moment is the lettings growth in MSF in the like-for-like -like business not quite keeping up with the reduction in the sales MSF. We think that will change in the second half of the year such that one should more or less meet the other by the year end. And the growths come from both in revenue and for management service fees from the acquisitions for management service fees it's hunters for the group revenue it's hunters and mortgage genie you know making meaningful contributions already to the group adjusted ebitda up eight percent to 5.7 million adjust out share based payment charges and exceptional costs and amortization and consolidation the things that you know are standard just to see where that's at because that's usually a pretty good predictor of our cash generation within the group and then the thing that I suppose been on top of my agenda from day one is to have a good margin. We need to operate with a good margin that sees us through hard times. When costs can rise and revenue can drop away, it's important to have plenty of room for manoeuvre. But also because high quality earnings are, are an important indicator, I think, of our, our own abilities at the end of the day in terms of effectively and efficiently managing the business. So adjusted operating margin, 41% in the first half year, down from 47% last year, which was buoyed by the sales market. Uh, year ends, 21 adjusted operating margin, which is 40%. So as I will show in a slide, I track that all the time and we're starting to move in the right direction. I'll come back to that. Profit before tax up 9% to 3.8 million. It wasn't many years ago, then that was the full year profit before tax. Um, so fantastic net debt. And that's the debt we took on to acquire Hunters in March 21 and took 12.5 million on of debt at that point in time. And as you can see, we've got nearly the other side of that 10 million of cash. So that net position breaks down if we start to work it through. That's down, as you'd expect, from 5.4 million at this time last year because we're a cash generative business. So it's very by nature that we can start to pay our debt down and have surplus cash in the business. That surplus cash, of course, is what people call free cash flow. And that's important because that allows us to have some headroom on our dividends which have been progressive since day one, continue to be progressive. We're still confident about this year. We're still confident about hitting our results in the market. And as a result, we've increased the interim dividend by 11p to 4.2p per share. That's about one third of the number in the market, which I think was 12.6 or 12.7p. I would expect us to um, pay uh, the rest of that uh, when it comes around to year end, um, because we, we do expect to hit all our targets this year. Adjusted earnings per share, basic, down to 14.1p. 
Yes, despite all that earnings growth, all that excellent work, it is a matter of fact that the acquisition of Hunters involves some dilution of existing shareholders, about 18% dilution. And a chunk of that dilution isn't reflected in the um, numbers for last year. It's fully reflected now. And the reason for that is because you base it on an average weighted number of shares at any point in time. So you have to let the time pass before you've got the full dilution uh, factored into the number. So that's 14.1. Quite conceivably, that's going to be 28 plus, isn't it, by the year end? So adjusted operating margin. That's how our businesses are trading before the decisions we've taken as a corporate business to buy businesses, to issue LTIPs and those costs. So it's before those, it's what the trading entities are doing themselves. And these are starting in 2018. That's the full year, 43%, 2019, 44%, 2020, 48%. Ironic in a year with COVID hitting us, but of course, cost control was quite central to everything in that year because you needed to make sure you had the cash to see yourself through for the next 12 months. So that's what really drove that. 2021, we were yet to see the full impact of the year sales year, but we did have the acquisition costs to deal with various elements around it, even though the main element of exceptional costs for the, the acquisition itself was kept out of it. But that definitely depressed our margin in 2021. And here we are, 2022, coming back now. And I would expect us to get to probably about 42%, maybe even 43% before we get to the year end. So we ought to be getting close back to 2018 levels. Um, and if we can stay just that side, between, anywhere between 42 and 45%, I'll be happy. Mix of revenue is continually changing. And MSF as an element of it is starting to reduce there's a reason for that, really, the main one being the fact that it takes a lot to support franchise network and some elements of it, such as operating systems, we usually take on master licenses and then supply onto our franchisees. And that revenue gets picked up in that blue element, which says franchisee support services. We've also got a growing segment in financial services because we own Mortgage Genie and we have an arrangement with LSL as well over supplying consultants into our remaining network. So we will see that element grow, and I suspect the next donut for the year end will split out franchisee support services from financial services. But both of those go hand in hand with our strategy, which is to, one, support our franchisees as much as possible and leverage our scale to get them the best rates. And secondly, to be able to help provide financial services support to their clients as and when they need it. Other elements in there, well, franchise sales, pretty small in this first six months of the year primarily because no one's reselling they've had a great 2021 i guess they have some confidence in us for 2022 as well and i think at just this moment in time very few wanting to resell in our franchise network if they did then ordinarily it means that we bring in new people from outside so in time we will want to do something to try and move that forward it's important to bring new blood in but right now in the cycle we're at very few resales and then a segment that was new to us in 21 and has grown a little bit because we've seen the full impact in 22 half year results is owned offices. They're the 10 offices that are owned by hunters. All 10 of them are engaged in lettings and eight are engaged in sales. And clearly, you know, an extra, what is it, 11 weeks in 2022 means that that element of our total revenue has increased. Mix of MSF, I've put the financial services element in here, but it's relatively small at this moment in time. It's sort of in the what, 56, 44% region at this moment in time between lettings and sales. It's come back from last year because we've got a less buoyant market and we're seeing some rental inflation in the lettings market. 
the, the mix will keep changing of MSF right up to year end. We won't, I don't think, quite get back to 60% lettings and 40% sales, but we ought to be close to it. I put this slide in here and I've repeatedly done so just because the high street led brands, excluding hunters, because we haven't got a full comparative year on year at this moment in time, given when we acquired it. But the high street led brands tell us what's happening in the market for lettings and sales. And on the left-hand side, we have the lettings market and lettings MSF. And as you can see, 22, for the start of it, more or less track 2021, we've seen a little bit of a spike up and then it's dropped back down to the 2021 level. And we'd expect that to just spike up again now as we run through July, August, September and October. So that line ought to run ahead of the 2021. That will be our growth, 7 8% will be in the numbers, that's for sure, by the year end. 2019 in there is just to give an idea of what was supposed to be a more normal mar market. Um, 2019 is more relevant to the right-hand side, because in 2019, you can see um, a 1.2 million market playing out. It's the same sort of market that it's seen for at least the last seven or eight years prior to that. 2021 came along, and clearly with the stamp duty holidays, we've seen three significant months in that year. And then 2022, well, it's following a similar trend to 2019. It will be slightly ahead of it in terms of overall transactions in the market and therefore the transactions we engage in on a light, light basis. And then we've got hunters on top of it. So the difference between the 2019 line and the 2022 line for us is primarily the hunters additional business that we've got in there. A new move, which predominantly operates just in the sales market. It's not to say that a lot of franchisees don't have some letting business these days, because they do, but predominantly it's the sales market. The left-hand side graph probably tells you all that you need to know. Peaks are similar to the other high street brands I've just shown you. And managing to engage in a few more sales transactions and lettings transactions in 2019, but certainly not at the 2021 level. And I think with that, I, I hand back to Gareth. So I'll hand you back to Gareth. Thanks, David. Uh, just just give you an, uh, an update on the market, uh, and then follow on with um, our growth initiative update. So, so market, uh, David touched on. We started the year from a budgeting perspective, thinking that the market would normalise back to about 1.2 million transactions. So, last year 1.65, moving to 1.2, and in the first half of the year, transactions were 28% down year on year and delivered about 628,000 exchanges. So slightly ahead of the sort of predicted 1.2. And I think we'll end this year probably close to 1.3 million transactions. So the market's probably been stronger from a front-end perspective than we imagined. So there's still demand. Houses are still coming onto the market and selling quickly. But the big issue that has affected everybody in the industry over the first six months of the year has been the time it's taken to move from sale agreed to exchange of contracts and completion. A normal market would be three to four months. So the day you get your offer agreed, four months later, you should be moving in. In the first half of the year, that was getting very close to six months. And that massively affected sales agents' income and their performance. You know, we've been affected by that also, which makes the results today even more pleasing. That appears in the first two months of the second half of the year to have freed up a little bit. And whether that's additional capacity at conveyancing level, or just you know, people are not as busy as they were last year, because there's less transactions going through, I don't know. But there certainly seems to have been a move back towards about five months from six months in the first two months of the year, which is great news for the industry and, and, and will help everybody. 
We go back to demand, you know, the market last year, you almost had 15, 20 buyers for every property that came onto the market. Um, so there was an incredible amount of aborted work that was undertaken by estate agents because only one person can ever complete on that property. That demand has reduced over the last six months, but there are still properties selling very, very quickly. Therefore, our pipelines are still strong and that gives us optimism for the second half of this year. In terms of the rental market, rental market is as busy as it's ever been. The demand for rental stock is amazing. The amount of stock coming to the market is very low. So lots of people are staying put. So the average time of a tenancy now is something like 34 months. So that sort of churn of properties coming back to the market is subdued and the new properties coming to market is subdued. So rental demand is probably an all-time high. There's clearly an increasing trend towards professionalism and compliance. The Renters Reform Bill, you know, that was launched about three months ago, will put further complication into the lettings market and and we'll need to navigate our way through that over the next two and a half years. In terms of the one big change this year is rental inflation. So rents are going up probably quicker than they ever have done before. And I think that's a, a, a sort of symptom of you know, rent's not increasing since probably 2019. You know, 2020, we had COVID and landlords were very supportive of tenants, didn't put the rent up. Last year, rents didn't seem to move significantly. Um, this year, for stock, new stock coming to the market, um, the, the, the rental increases are significant. 10 to 15% is not unusual. The existing tenants and landlords are probably, the landlords are probably increasing the rents, but by nowhere near the amount they could do if they were coming back to the open market. So we're probably seeing rent inflation at three to 6%. So that's good news for all of our franchisees because they're going to be taking more rent and they'll take a fee off that additional rent. And as I say, over the last 10 years, I've never seen rental inflation that we're seeing at the moment. So that gives you an idea about what's happening within the market from a residential sales and a residential lettings perspective. In terms of you know, why do we believe we're well positioned? We've done an awful lot since 2020 to sort of redefine the business. As David said, you know, 3.8 million profit would normally have been a full year result, not a half year result. And that was only back in 2019. So we've moved on as a business really quickly. So why are we well positioned? We're very cash generative. David touched on that earlier. So we generate an awful lot of cash from the activities that we undertake. I think one of the biggest changes in terms of the business and what we now offer to our franchisees is putting together that very experienced senior management team who on a daily basis with their operations directors are helping our franchisees navigate and improve their business. And that's been really important in terms of the jumps in productivity that we've seen. We've got a really clear and focused growth strategy that we're not going to move away from. You know, we launched it in September 2020 and we believe it's good for at least five years and has already shown signs of adding to the bottom line, which is really important. Core strength, I think we're really nimble. You know, I think we can capitalise on any opportunities that arise out of disruption and we may be entering a market where things do get a little bit tougher and there may be some distressed assets that are worth us considering. And I think we've demonstrated that we're nimble and we're quick to react. And if it fits our plan, we'll embrace it. Quality acquisitions delivering well on their potential. And I think this time last year, when we were talking about a half year results, we'd just done the Hunter's acquisition. And there's always a question mark, can you successfully integrate an acquisition? And, you know, we did two last year. And I think we've done really well in terms of understanding the business, 
integrating it into our bigger business and looking at the synergies that we can drive out of all of the acquisitions to make sure that that margin remains around the sort of low 40 mark that David touched on earlier. Big sort of difference between us and most estate agents is that, you know, a lot of our income comes from lettings, which is more stable, it is more robust. I think we'll get back to probably a 60-40 split either, you know, by by the end of the year or uh, by the half year next year. And as always, as a franchisor, we are absolutely focused on cost control. And not just for us, actually, we talk about it with our franchisees to make sure that we don't waste money. So making sure that we're on top of the cost. And you'll see that from the admin expenses not moving forward year on year, which is real credit to the management team and the finance team. In terms of our team, talk about these a lot, but these are, you know, fundamentally all in addition to what we had back two years ago. And these are the people that drive the initiatives on a day-to-day basis. So just to introduce them to you, we've got Ellie Hall, who's MD of Martin & Co Midlands and North. Her background's very much been lettings and lettings book acquisitions for some of the major corporates over the last 10, 15 years. She's probably been you know, involved in more acquisitions than anybody else in the country. She's been with us now a year and settled in incredibly well and is driving that region alongside the sort of national focus on acquisitions for our franchisees. Eric Walker, MD of Martin & Co. South and Scotland, you know, his sort of core skill set are very much about lettings and franchising and compliance. And as we go further to this more regulated lettings market, Eric, you know, plays his part with the Renters Reform Bill, Roper, which is really important for our 600 individual businesses that have a font of knowledge from somebody that they can call and put their minds at rest. We've got Gareth Williams, who's taken over as MD of Hunters, and his skill set is very much about FS implementation and residential sales, which is dead right for that business. Nick Neal, MD of UMove. Nick was a franchisee for UMove, so absolutely understands the UMove culture, what they're trying to achieve, and he's doing an incredible job at UMove for us. A new MD that's been appointed fairly recently, Rob Smith, again, comes from a corporate background where he was used to running 60, 70 offices for a corporate. Again, you know, massive focus on residential sales, financial services experience, and all of those additional income streams, including conveyancing, that are going to become more and more important as the market calls for our franchisees. Glynis Frew, who was the MD of Hunters at Acquisition, has now become our Franchise Training and Development Director. And that's going to become, again, vital for the group once Roper's pushed through. So we're delighted that Glynis is doing that role for us. We've got Matt Stevens, who's the MD of the newly acquired Mortgage Genie business. And he's familiarising himself with the group, has a real depth of mortgage experience, and is helping that you know, form that sort of plan across the group. And then we've got Kate Randall, who's Group Marketing and Commercial Director, who has driven our marketing efforts over the last five years, done an incredible job, taken a lead on ESG, and now looks after all of our supplier negotiations on a group basis on behalf of our franchisees. So if I look back two years, the only two people that would have been on that list would be Nick Neal and Kate Randall. So that demonstrates the investment we've put into that executive team to really drive out the opportunity that exists for the group. And then we move on to our strategic growth initiative. So again, keep reiterating it, launched in 2020. These were the areas that we really wanted to focus on to drive value into the group. Um, uh, Lettings growth, we've touched on that. You know, big focus this year is the rental inflation project where making sure that, you know, our landlords are receiving the rents that the market suggests they should. 
Alongside that, we've got a big focus on lettings, book acquisitions, so small lettings, books in areas where we have a franchisee. We've got a big focus. We did 11 acquisitions in the first half of the year. We've probably got at least that going through at the moment. So I'd be really disappointed if we didn't put at least 2,000 properties onto our portfolio this year. And our aspiration going forward is at least three. So lettings growth is clearly a massive focus for the group. Our sales activity and our high street led brands, you know, I've talked before about, you know, a number of our Martin and co franchisees do very little from a residential sales perspective. I go back to 2020 when I joined and we probably had 100 offices that were doing less than 10 exchanges a, a year. And we've managed over the last 18 months to really drive that through. And we have now far more offices offering that sales service and that that's shown through in the numbers that we're seeing from the Martin & Co brand. And we'll continue to do that. That's a, an opportunity that is ongoing. Financial services, we talked last year about signing the five-year distribution agreement with LSL to provide our franchisees with a cost-effective financial services offering. I think it's fair to say that's been slower than we would have liked. And I think the market's played its part in that in terms of you know, financial consultants not wanting to leave their existing business because they've got big pipelines. But we've identified about 60 locations across the group that will um, happily take a financial consultant. And we're in the process now of um, uh, recruiting those financial consultants into those vacancies. We've also had a number of our existing franchisees that have the desire to open their own financial services business. And I think the first five went live last month. And we've probably got 15 to 20 of those that will come to fruition over the next 12 months. So there's some really good activity in the financial services space, but it's probably slower than we would have liked. The one sort of real big tick in the box has been the Mortgage Genie acquisition. That's really integrated and settled in well and are performing really, really well. So we're delighted to have Matt and the team at Mortgage Genie as part of the group. You move recruitment. Again, we've talked about this every six months when we've delivered results. Recruitment was going along swimmingly. And the first six months of this year, it slowed a little bit. And I think, you know, with all the uncertainty in the market, that's really understandable. So we've realigned our target and we believe we'll now have 200 territories under contract by the end of this year. What's been really pleasing, however, is the list of interested prospects is just growing, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I guess the downside is it's just taking them a little bit longer to make that sort of leap of faith and and sign that contract. So we've got an incredibly big pipeline, probably bigger than we've ever had before, but they are taking longer to come through to contract. But, you know, still very focused on that U-Move recruitment. In addition to that, we've launched Hunter's Personal Agent, which is Hunter's hybrid offering. You know, we have about 200 offices in the Hunter's group and U-Move traditionally attracts non-experienced estate agents. Hunters, we believe, for existing estate agents, experienced estate agents, is probably one of the best brands in the UK, most recognised brands in the UK. And in the first six months, we've sold five territories, which from March to June is really encouraging. So we'll have two hybrid offerings, Hunters and U-Move going forward. Acquisitions at franchise or level, well, we've been quite busy. Last year was was sort of dominated by integrating Hunters and integrating Mortgage Genie. But we believe there will be opportunity and we will be able to react to that opportunity over the next 12 months. And we have the cash to be able to do that. And then best in class digital marketing and then going back to Kate and the role she plays within the group. You know, we have now a huge amount of data that we're in control of on behalf of our franchisees. 
and, and, and it's all about running the right relevant marketing campaigns to that database to drive leads back to the franchises in terms of financial services leads, valuation leads, lettings leads, to drive um, activity and income back, back, back to those individual branches. And we're also looking at some technology that enables each of the offices to refer to each other when they deal with a customer in a certain location who have a property to sell or let in a different location. So so lots of work going on in terms of improving our digital capability at present. Outlook, this is what's really pleasing. So half two started better than we could have hoped. Sales activity and transaction timescales are reducing. So as I touched on earlier, the first half of the year saw transaction timescales moving out towards six months, which is sort of unheard of. And that was down to I think that the fact that it was so busy last year, the fact that a lot of conveyances left the industry because they were stressed, the fact that surveyors were really, really busy. So a multitude of reasons why the timescales went out. But already in the first two months of the second half of the year, we're seeing those timeframes come back slightly. So five and a half months has come back to four and a half months. And although that doesn't sound a lot, that makes a huge difference in the cash flow of the businesses. So that bodes well for the second half of the year. We'll continue on the strategic initiatives and I'll keep boring everybody talking about them every six months. But, you know, we're not going to change them. They're serving the group really, really well. We'll make progress in different areas at different times. But as I say, those core pillars of growth are really important to us. We're not naive. We understand that there's a lot going on in the world. And some of that will certainly affect negatively the property market, probably more transactions. But I think you know, if you look at the long-term average of 1.2 million transactions, you know, we're talking about 1.3 this year. That's going to fall off a little bit next year, 1.2, but not disastrous. We've seen a 28% reduction in transactions so far this year, year on year, and we still delivered record profit. So we're really positive about the group, irrespective of the market conditions. Ultimate goal remains to support our franchisees in order to help them become more successful. And our job is to make sure we make that as easy as possible. And we remain confident in our ability to grow our group and deliver on our strategic initiatives moving forward. And that's the presentation. So thanks for listening. Uh, we're now going to hand back to Tamsin and she's going to ask some questions. Property Franchise Group appears to have exceeded the performance of its peers within the sector. Can you clarify what particular part of the strategy you would attribute this to? Um, yeah, really good question. Um, so, so, so you're right. You know, I've, I've looked at all the results that have come out over the last couple of weeks, and we are, you know, significantly ahead actually. And and yeah, part of that, I think, is the size of the lettings book. Uh, you know, a, a lot of agents more reliant on the sales market, and and we've touched on the reasons why the sales market has um, affected financial performance. You know, that's down twenty eight percent. So that's that's gonna always affect any business that's more reliant on sales than lettings. Um, I think our strategic growth initiatives have, you know, delivered. I think we're on the right track. I think we built the right plan two years ago and, you know, we've been working through that. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the acquisitions that we made last year, I think we've integrated really successfully. Um, so, so I think it's not one part. I think there's three or four things that we've got right. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the, the agents, agencies that were more reliant on sales um, have been more affected in, in the last six months. David, do you want to add to that? Well, what strikes me, um, well, I suppose I've got the benefit of being in the, in the team for a long time now. Um, we, we usually do two things. Um, we 
um, to do a lot of analysis uh, at, at, towards the end of each year as we start to budget and we start to think about really what does that what does everything tell us about what we need to be mindful of um, and we set targets and you'll see this in our market expectations as well um, we set targets and we go for them and we try to have a plan around that that we think we can execute on um, and we go about executing it and and it's always framed around a couple of things but one, one most important which is margin um, you know We've got to be able to see that it's going to, uh, in the long term, um, keep our margins at or above 40%. And we've got to be convinced that the returns in, in the in the short term are worth the usually the pain um, and the costs. And, and we are quite self-critical about those things, I suppose, have been over this, this um, last 10 years. Um, but uh, the upside to that is it means that you know we, we keep a focus on what's really central to do we could do lots of things but what's really important and right at the heart of that is you know what will help our franchisees revenue improve what what can we do um and how do we do it that's it thank you very much indeed and could we have more detail as to the increase in gross costs of 86 percent to 2.8 million from 1.5 and whether this is the new level for future years if sales were constant i think we're talking about cost of sales there um and um well i, I don't actually see a lot of variation in cost of sales um in 22 over 21 um that, that sort of concerns me a little bit because clearly the slower sales market there should be so it's something that um, you know, we, we need to do a bit of work on. But overall, is it the is it the level? Yes, it must be because um, the majority of that's coming through from owning offices um, and from owning mortgage genie. Um, and you know, so you you win a situation where you've got the revenue, then got all the cost of sales, all the direct activities related to actually the, generating that revenue, and then you've got a little bit of admin costs, and then you've got your, your profit before tax for each of those businesses. Cost of sales is a large element. It has to be, um, you know, if it isn't, then there's no revenue. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see that changing too much anytime soon. Um, Gareth and I just want to bring a bit more variability into it um, so that as revenue moves up and down, um, our cost of sales do, does the same thing. Thank you very much. And can you split Hunter's sales between property sales and letting? And what can you do to grow the Hunter's letting book? Um, it's 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 gone back to a more normal traditional mix, which is one third lettings, two thirds sales. Um, that that's where it's up. And sorry, what was the second part of the question, Nancy? And what can you do to grow the Hunter's Letting Book? Oh well, um, probably the, we can do exactly the same. Hopefully, as, as as we did for the the brands that we acquired from from Legal and General back in two thousand and fourteen which is that we can take them through all the expertise and experience that we've had about um, the market, how to market, how um, services that the um, that uh, landlords really looking for, um, how to go out and, and and win that business in the first place, because the clearly Hunter's franchisees a lot, lot won't have done that to any great scale. Um, where those properties are that um, have got the best um, opportunities for them um, so we segment their markets and just have a look at where those properties exist and, and we look at the portfolio they hold and we determine what that portfolio portfolio should really look like so yeah a, a lot um, the, the ultimate end is question probably is that when we took on the uh, brands from legal in general their mix was um, probably about 60 percent um, sales um, maybe a little bit more um, and the rest lettings um, and over the course of um, the time we've owned it, it's swapped around the other way. Um, 2021 only been the only exception because of the buoyant sales market. So they've become 
um, better letting agents, not to say they've slipped and been sales agents, but they become better lading agents and they do much more business that way. And of course, that means they've got greater stability of their own earnings. And, and the consequence of that is it means that they've got the money to invest in their businesses. And if I look at those brands, I know that in the first six months of this year, um, there's three um, offices opened in those brands by existing uh, franchisees. Uh, which if we go back a few years is, is kind of unheard of. Uh, and that is because they've got stronger and stronger. They've generated the cash. They can um, buy businesses uh, that they couldn't do in the past. They can open um, new outlets that they couldn't do in the past. Um, so it's it's a, it's a long journey, but that that's ultimately where we've got to on it. And um, hopefully we can keep going that way with them. So I think also, sorry, yeah, sorry to jump in. Also, the fact that our footprint now, you know, we've got four 400 plus uh, shops in high street so so when a lettings book becomes available in a certain territory <clears throat> you've got to be represented in that territory to be able to acquire it um, and we've doubled the size of our footprint so certainly with hunters there's a big appetite for the uh hunter, hunters franchisees to also start to acquire lettings books and we'll support them any way we can to to, to, to make that a reality Thank you very much. And just going back to the gross costs again, David, um, I'm asked here, why is it so much higher as a proportion of sales this year compared to last? I think you're, you're going to find, well, I mean, it's going to be set down in the fact that um, it'll be the, it, well, there's two aspects to this. There's, there's one that's the mortgage acquisition, which wasn't there at all last year. So you've got those costs for the first time. And um, as we we all know in financial services businesses and sort of sorry if you're listening for this and here's for the first time you know a margin above 20 percent would be doing very well and most sit between 10 and 15 percent so you've got a lot of cost of sales associated with them and that's coming to the number and then you just have the fact that um, the sales have dropped in hunters because uh, the market's fallen away a bit this year uh, and the cost of sales doesn't appear to have followed quite the same uh, trend and um, that's something that um, we're conscious of um but there, there are factors in it yeah there was also we 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 only completed on the hunters deal in in march so there was only three months in in last year's h1 result uh of cost of sales in hunters so i think it's probably easier to look at the year year end figure rather than the uh half one comparison um so, we, so. I mean, to be, to be fair to hunters, I don't want you know it's not singling them out of the brand. They would have done a lot of work to maintain that sales pipeline and those sales um, ready for completion. So that there's there's costs around that, of course there are. Um, and when your, your completion rates uh, falling nationally, and it has been and stretching out, um, you still got it's more work probably than ever to do just to make sure um, anyone's bought a house or, or sold a house will understand um, to make sure that, that everybody knows where what's happening in the chain. Uh, what the current state of play is, where we're up to, um, and what needs to happen next. There's a lot of cost around that. So, you know, you, you've got this length in completion times, which will have driven some of that. But as I say, you know, that's a bit of focus for Gareth and I just to really get under that skin of that and just understand the, the dynamic at this moment in time. And just staying with costs for a moment, admin costs are flat year on year. Should we expect a large increase in half two due to inflation? No, I don't think so, actually. Um, uh, that's not to say that we, we haven't got it on our mind, as many organisations have, about you know, long-standing, long long-staffing. Uh, our, our, most of our teams have been around five to ten years, um, it's a good number over ten years. Um, so we, we want to retain them clearly, and there was some work to be done there in order to do so. But I don't think that's going to 
reflect into uh, in any great way into the numbers for for 2022 definitely not and how do you see financial services growing and have you any targets for half two and beyond you said the lsl tie-up was disappointing didn't say the lsl tie-up was disappointing said the time it's taken us to sort of execute has been uh disappointing due to you know uh, be it being very difficult to recruit financial consultants from other businesses and 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 as the market tightens that will become much easier um so so you know we're on a path that path has taken longer than expected in that first sort of 12 months um we, we we've got some really good plans in place we've got some really good uh levels of performance beginning to be driven out of certain franchisees and um yeah, I, I'm hypercritical of any negative that we've got in our results. But generally, you know, as the market tightens, our franchisees will require those additional income streams like never before. So I'm really encouraged about the future because the tighter the market gets, the more reliant our franchisees will become on um, uh, financial services and conveyancing. And they're two big things that we're trying to drive. Um, so, so, um, so, yeah, don't, don't, don't go away thinking I'm disappointed. I'm just disappointed in the time it's taken so far. Um, but, but, but everything suggests all of that will sort itself out with this tougher market. Thank you very much. And, and staying with financial services, after the acquisition of the Mortgage Genie, what's the current number of financial advisors and how many are franchisees compared to being employed by the group? And following on from that, how much is the LSL deal adding to top and bottom line performance? So, so we've got five, five financial consultants in Hunter's owned offices. Uh, we've got 15 tier three um, franchisees that want to run their own financial services business. Some of them have multiple consultants. Um, so let's say that's 20 financial consultants that operate in a tier three environment. And there's probably another five or six franchisees that want to become a tier three. And then, as I touched on earlier, we've got 50 um, to 60 identified locations where they want a tier two consultant they're currently being recruited for. Um, so that's circa 70 um, that, that are in the mix and, and we're working towards. Um, sorry, what was the um, uh, second part of that question? Following up from that, how much is the LSL deal adding to the top and bottom line performance? Uh, so on the numbers, I think it was something like 0.6%. So it's growing, but very slowly. Um, so, you know, again, transaction timeframes haven't helped. Um, I, I think we'll see the true value of it next year and, and beyond. Um, so, yeah, what was financial services adding up to, David, for us? Well, we, we, we've got a uh, follow segmental reporting, so that there is uh, an element that's, that's I think it says other at this moment in time, but it's, that's devoted to financial services. So that's Mortgage Genie, which was um, yeah, I think eight hundred thousand of, of turnover in the first half of the year, and then I think there's about a hundred thousand in there from from LSL in that arrangement. So that, that gives you an idea. Um, you know, it's, it's got a long way to go yet before um, we're materially seeing um, a, a, a different set of, uh, of contributions from financial services. Um, but it'll come. It'll come. It's like all franchising. Just have to stick with it. Keep working with it. Tremendous. Thank you very much. And will the company aim to franchise the Hunter's corporate owner offices over time? Uh, yeah, good question. We've been asked it quite a lot. You know, it represents 10 out of 600 offices. Um, I think if we could find the right franchisor, 
um, we would definitely, definitely look at it. Um, but but owning some offices also has some benefits in terms of being able to trial stuff. So, you know, because there's only 10, you know, we're not a sales agent. We've got, you know, a, a management team in place that are more than experienced to run those and deliver value for the group. Uh, but but we are a franchise business. So if we could find the right franchise or to take um, uh, those offices, we would probably look to do that. Yes. Tremendous. Thank you very much. And what effect will the planned minimum EPC rating of C have on the current managed rental stock? Another good question. Um, it will, yeah, looking at the type of stock we've got, it will probably represent 10 to 15% of the stock we currently manage. Um, and, you know, discussions are already underway in terms of, you know, do, do, does the landlord sell the properties that are not going to get to uh, grade C and then reinvest in in properties that will be C or above. So so yeah, it, it it's a percentage of our book, um, but 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 clearly the the lion's share of it will pass or touch with the pass uh, and be C or C or above. Um, but um, but but yeah, landlords have a decision to make to either do the work um, and get them compliant, or in some cases they can't get them to C and therefore they should be looking to dispose. Thank you very much. And although the group is cash generative and on the right track, will the group consider not using adjusted numbers as the primary reporting metrics? Over the long term, this could set a precedent for unfavourable adjustments, including those of the Auxilium trans transaction last year and the ongoing share issuance, which, although part of the acquisitions or incentives, is an ongoing real cost to long-term shareholders. Yeah. I'll pick that one up, Tamsin. I think adjusted numbers have a very good place to play in analysing the performance of a business because the the, the um, elements we're talking about um, that, that, that you adjust for um, amortisation and consolidation, that's a, you know, a, a, a technique of valuing a business and deciding which of those assets um, should be subjected to, to write down over a period of time. Um, and depending, uh, ironically, the better the business you buy, the higher the value attributed to those assets and the less the goodwill. And then you write those assets down over whatever period you've decided, 15, 20, 25 years. Um, but those assets will drive the value of the business forward. And that business will be worth more in the future through those assets that they're well managed than not. So you, you could question what on earth is, is this all about? But that's the accounting treatment and that's what we have to do. Um, likewise, um, share-based payment charges is an assessment of the um, dilution to to and and the value loss to existing investors and a charge to the PL. Um, but um, because it's a notional charge, it's then backed out through your reserves. So it has no impact on cash. It has no impact on dividends you can pay. Um, and it's the, the only um, sort of impact on on the LTIPs is actually the dilution that comes about through their issuance and then the impact on earnings per share. Um, so, you know, if you're going to look for a measure of what's happening, that, that would be the place. Uh, again, I think share-based payments charge is what we have to do. Um, but um, I, I question the value of that to anybody reading a set of accounts. Um, and then uh, exceptional costs, which go in and out of being allowed to be discussed. And these days, we're not allowed to show those on the face of a P&L. They have to put away in a note to the accounts. Again, 
Um, they're substantial in, in most corporate transactions and, and uh, readers ought to know what they are. I, I still think there's a good place them on the front of the accounts, but clearly they're one-off cost at a point in time um, and then you've acquired whatever it is that you've acquired and you have to develop it. So again, if you don't uh, sort of move these costs out of your, your, your uh, numbers and have adjusted numbers, you, it's very difficult to com uh, compare, especially if your business is acquisitive because you, you just year on, year out, these numbers are there. Um, you're growing, you're trying to incentivize your management team. All these things are impacting the, the, the headline numbers. And then how do you judge performance? So I think they do have a role to play. Um, and um, as much as there's been a steer to try, you know, may move, move people away from it, I think it, it's the only way, absolute only way to be able to help um, anybody looking at our results, just understand where we're up to, let alone help our own um, executive teams, board and what have you, just make um, head and a tail of, what they know in trading numbers and then what they see in consolidated numbers that get published in the market. Many thanks, David. And one final question that we've, which is all we've got time for, please explain the different tiers of financial services people. Okay. Um, so there's three tiers. Um, tier one um, is where a franchisee has, you know, a small amount of interest in financial services and wants to just pass the lead into a call centre environment. Okay, so that's tier one, so that's the basic level. Tier two is where um, our relationship with LSL um, dictates that they will then provide a financial consultant to work with our franchisee from either their broker network or an employed consultant that is local to the office to be able to build a relationship and drive financial services without the cost of the franchisee uh, employing a financial consultant. Um, and that's a popular um, uh, a popular choice for our franchisees. And then tier three is where our franchisees want to build their own financial services business under the Primus Mortgage Network. And we will help them with recruitment. Primus will help them with training and compliance and, um, uh, and, and help them set their business up. So, so they're the three tiers. So, you know, the, the interest levels, tier one, least interested, tier two, interested, don't want the cost, tier three, I want to go for this. I want to build a business of my own. Um, and, and they're the three tiers that I talk about. Tremendous. Thanks very much indeed, Gareth. And we've run out of time. Do you have any closing remarks? Just thanks again for your interest. You know, it's been good, good, great to talk to you today. You know, we're really excited and positive about um, the, the, the future and all the work that we're putting into you know, growing our business and, and look forward to being able to update you with the full year results in, in March or April next year. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.